Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hey, what's up, YouTube? Uh, Minister Derek Hallett of Sound the Trumpet Ministries, SoundTheTrumpetMinistries.com. And tonight we're going to do our part six of the fruit of the spirit. The fruit tonight that we're going to be tackling and talking about is the fruit of goodness. The fruit of goodness. Now, why do I want to go here is because, for one, it's a fruit of the spirit that we need. And, you know, it's good every now and then, or I would say all the time, to really reverence the goodness of God, to really have an understanding of God's love and what he does and what he wants for us. And to understand that goodness is just not a self-proclaiming thing. Goodness is a nature that only comes from God. Now, I know that many of us tell ourselves that we're good by our own standards. We're right to people. You know, we tend to treat people nice, so therefore that makes us good. But I guarantee you, if we were to examine your life and talk about the things that you do in your life, you may have some things that may be good and very well-intentioned, but are they good entirely? I'll give you an example. I mean, I work in an environment where, you know, we teach children and, you know, we tell children that it's not okay to do wrong things, not okay to curse, not okay to be in sin and, you know, do other things and, you know, just things that are not what considered uh, appropriate for school. We tell them things that are not right and we, um, you know, try and promote good values that they may be good people in society. But the funny thing is, is that when the kids leave, you know, even in our very own natures, we can still do the very things that we tell the kids not to do. So you see, that says a lot about us. That says a lot about the character of man, that he will only allow himself to be righteous by his standards. An example of this is when Jesus came in all holiness, righteousness and goodness, he wanted the Pharisees to know that he was good and that he was the savior and all they had to do was repent and believe. But you see, by their own self-righteousness, by their own goodness, they believed that they were good people. And I'm here to prove that aside from God, there is none good. The Bible says that there is none righteous, no, not one. Okay, but we can be made righteous and we partake of the nature and we become a part of the spirit of Jesus Christ. So tonight's study is going to be on the fruit of goodness but we're also going to be talking about reverencing the name of Jesus Christ. You know, tonight we're going to pump up and push up the name of Jesus Christ, which is the name above every name that the Bible says that at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow and every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God, the father. So it's important that we understand that, you know, God is good. And, you know, this is a big part of our strength is having our joy in him and understanding how good he is. Because if you notice, there are people in the world that we tend to follow or we believe in simply because we believe that they're good. But you see, if we really understand how good Jesus is, how good God the Father is, 
and how God's nature is so good that the Bible calls him faithful and true, then we must understand that he deserves all the praise, all the glory, and all the honor. Okay, so without further ado, I'm going to go to Galatians 5. This is part six of our teaching. Now, you know, I always go to Galatians 5 because I feel like, you know, it's important that we understand which fruit that we're speaking of. And also we have an understanding of why we should have these fruit in our lives. Okay, so let's go to Galatians 5. And I want to begin at verse 16, where I do with all of the parts of this series, because I think it's so important that we understand the necessity for having the things of God. Okay. So this is Galatians 5, and let's look at verse 1. And it says, This I say then, walk in the Spirit, and ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusteth against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary, the one to the other, so that you cannot do the things that ye would. So understanding and being a partaker of God's nature or, you know, walking in the spirit shows that this is the only way to overcome a sinful life is to walk with Jesus, pay attention to his words, walk in his spirit by, you know, paying attention to the things that God likes and not paying attention to the things that God doesn't like. And we're going to find out why that's important. Look at verse 18. But if ye be led by the spirit, ye are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are manifest, which are these. Now remember, we have an understanding that the flesh and spirit don't come together. They are at war. I don't have time to talk about in what ways in particular we're going to discuss those, but it's very important right now that we move on with this study. But you can look in the previous teachings of the fruit of the spirit and have an understanding why. Your flesh is ruled by the demonic realm or by the earthly fleshly realm that doesn't want you to pay attention to God. This is the realm that the devil controls. This is his matrix that you and I live in. We've got to be extracted from this matrix by being a part of God's spirit to be born again to do the things of God. Okay, so he says, look at the works of the flesh. When they are manifest, this is what you get. Adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness, which is greed, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance, emulations, wrath, strife, seditions, heresies, envyings, murders, drunkenness, revelings, and such like of the which I tell you before, as I have also told you in time past, that they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. So you see, we can't deceive ourselves by our own righteousness We have to look at the righteousness of God and understand that if we allow ourselves to live our lives, we will be one of these things. I think the biggest thing on this list is idolatry, because if God is not your first love and Jesus Christ in particular, then what you are going to do is you're going to love something else and that will be your God. What you obey is your God. What you have faith in is your God. So you see, You will be on this list if you are not loving the Lord thy God with your heart, mind, soul, and strength first, which will allow you to love your neighbor as yourself. These are the works of the flesh. It says, envyings, murders, drunkenness, revelings, and such like of the which I tell you before, as I have also told you 
in time past that they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, long suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, and temperance against such there is no law. So as you can see tonight, we're going to be talking about the fruit of goodness. Okay. Now, goodness is a nature that comes from God. So let's look up the definition of goodness in the uh, Greek. Okay. So this is Galatians 5, and I'm going to look at verse 22, I believe we are. And it says goodness. This is G19. And it means uprightness of heart and life, goodness and kindness. Now, you see, we can easily pump ourselves up and say that we're good people, but in comparison to who God is and what God wants, we'll find out that we have all fallen short of the glory of God. That's why we need Jesus Christ as our Savior to be born again, that we can have a life of goodness. Goodness is what God says goodness is, and it's not something that you can try to be. You must be a partaker of the nature of God by following his instruction, by following his spirit, by communing with him, by praying before him, asking him to take the sin out of your life so that you can truly be good, not according to you, but according to Christ in you. Okay, so let's look at this. Look at verse 24. And they that are Christ, those who belong to Jesus, have crucified the flesh. That means they've put it to death with the affections and lust. That means that they are ruled by the spirit, that they are not ruled by their flesh and their desires. Look at verse 25. If we live in the spirit, let us also walk in the spirit. Now, what's the difference between living in the spirit and walking in the spirit? Right now, we're in the spirit because we're speaking of spiritual things and we're being partakers and fellowshipping of God's word and being led by his spirit. But if it says, let us also walk in the spirit, walking in the spirit is not just for me to do it here. It would be for me to uphold and uplift Jesus wherever I went, to walk in the spirit in every part of my life, not just when people feel like it's a time to get religious and hear some word. You see, that can't be a part of goodness because goodness suggests that you will always want to commune with God, always want to be one with him and obey him. But you see, when you are only good, you know, um, in the appearance on YouTube or before other people, then that's not the nature of goodness that is outwardly performing to be good before others. But your nature is still tainted because when you leave this, then who are you really? So you see, God is the same. The Bible says, I am the Lord thy God and I change not. It says that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So that's what we ought to understand concerning God. God does not change. God is not partial. God is love. And one thing we're going to find out tonight, God is good. He's so good that he's beyond human comprehension. So we may as well become partaker of what he wants. This is verse 26. Let us not be desirous of vainglory provoking one another and envying one another. So you see, those things are not of the nature of God, but we're speaking of the nature of Jesus Christ, our Lord. So, you know, a lot of people may feel like God's not good because they don't want to do what he says, but we must understand that we have a fallen nature 
that only God can take us from, that he can cleanse us from, that we can be right in his eyes. So let's move on. I want to go to Psalm 144. Tonight, this whole study is going to be to uplift the name of God and do what God says, okay? So right now, we're going to look at Psalm 144. This is going to be a praise and worship service for Jesus Christ and God the Father. Why? Because they are worthy. So this is Psalm 144, and let's look at verse 1. And it says, Blessed be the Lord my strength, which teacheth my hands to war and my fingers to fight. My goodness and my fortress, my high tower and my deliverer, my shield and he is in whom I trust, who subdued my people under me. So, you know, David here has got the right mindset. Speaking of God, he says that blessed is the Lord of my strength. So God is his strength. Jesus says in, in uh, Psalm 15, not Psalm 15, John 15, aside from him, you can do absolutely nothing. You know, Christ in hope in Jesus is the, you know, uh, what is it? Christ in me is the hope of glory. So David is making very clear here that God teaches his hands to war. Now, as Christians, we may not war with our fists, but one thing we do war with today is the spirit and the casting out of devils and the speaking of tongues and going to war in prayer and breaking down strongholds to preach the gospel. Only God and his spirit can instruct us to do these things. And look at what he says in two, my goodness and my fortress. So David made clear he's not good. Only God is good. God is his goodness and his fortress, my high tower and my deliverer and my shield. And he in whom I trust, who subdueth my people under me. Lord, what is man that thou takest knowledge of him or the son of man that thou makest account of him? Have we ever thought about even with being born again believers, having an understanding that there was nothing that we did for God to want us. Here we are. Science will tell us that we're the lowest rung on the planet. Okay. Only thing we might be above is animals, but they want to classify us as animals as well. But we must understand the question here in verse three, who is man that thou art mindful of him? Why does God have such a hope and such a love and such a deep affection for man? When we look around in our fallen state, we can't even stand one another. But you see, we were made in the image and likeness of God. And the devil has made us fall to the place of not being good in God's eyes, not reverencing God, not doing things that God wants us to do. So you see, we've, we've developed a lowly nature because we don't understand the very purpose of why we were created. God is good. And God created everything in this world in six days. And he made very clear in Genesis 1 that it was good. It was very good. So we knew no evil when we served God and we followed him. So you see what he's talking about here is, why does God love man? And that's because man was made in the image of God. But it is nothing that man has done of himself. He made us perfect and we even messed that up. So now what we need to do is tap into Jesus, who is God by his right divine nature, because he came forth from the Father and understands God's goodness, and let's reverence it and worship it and want to be a part of it. 
Let us be clean from sin and all unrighteousness that we can serve the living God. So let's look at verse four. He says, man is like to vanity. His days are as a shadow that passeth away. Now this is true. When he talks about this word vanity here, vanity is like what you would consider a breath or a vapor. Okay, and and then Solomon wrote 12 chapters about what vanity was and how it was not of God, that you can have all the riches, you can have all the women, you can have all the money, you can have all the fame and success, but none of it amounts to anything if it's not of Jesus Christ and God's spirit. Why? Because we all know by now you can't take any of these things with you. Okay, so we must have an understanding here that man is like to vanity. When you look at it, man's life is not permanent unless he taps into Jesus Christ. But the thing here is, is that vanity is like a breath. You ever see on cold days when you breathe and your breath materializes and then it just evaporates? Well, that's what vanity is. That is what all the things that we are concerned with in this life that are against God or away from God are. The only permanent constant we can have in our lives is Jesus Christ and God the Father, and having God's Spirit being born again of his nature, that we may be partakers of Jesus Christ, okay? So that's what he means by man is like a vanity, is like to vanity. His days are as a shadow that passeth away. If you even look at our lives, man, we don't live, what's the average lifespan, 80 years? And that's if you're lucky. So think about how we just come in as a vapor, as a bubble on water, and we just course through life up until the time we die. We must know that there is a greater purpose for this. Because of God's goodness, we were meant to live forever, not to be subject to death. That's why Jesus has come back to give us our spirit, that death will not rule over a Christian, because from here we go unto eternity with Jesus. Now, whether you're a believer or an unbeliever, Believe it or not, you will go into eternity. But you see, one reaches life, which is in Christ, in the kingdom of heaven, and the other is hell, which is forever and ever, which they said the Bible made clear that there would be fear. I mean, what is it? Uh, uh, Pain and fear and gnashing of teeth and the worm dieth not. No, thank you. I don't want to live the rest of my life in torment. I want to know Jesus Christ. Isn't it amazing how people don't even believe in God's goodness? They don't even believe in hell. But the funny thing is we got lava spewing up out of the heart of the earth and people still don't believe in hell. You know, it's unbelievable what the devil can make you believe. But what we need to do is tap into God's goodness and follow him. So it says in verse five, bow thy heavens, O Lord, and come down, touch the mountains and they shall smoke. Cast forth lightning and scatter them. Shoot out thine arrows and destroy them. Send thine hand from above. Rid me and deliver me out of the great waters from the hand of the strange children. Now, when it talks about waters here, it's speaking of humanity or multitudes. David's speaking of his enemies, those who don't believe in God, those who fight against God. He's asking for God to avenge him, to deliver him out of the great waters from the hand of strange children. Do you realize that anyone that lives a sinful life that will not uh, take Jesus Christ is a strange child? Okay, because we were never meant to be sinners. We were made to rule and to be subject to God 
and to replenish the earth, multiply and subdue it. That was God's plans for man. What we have today with pain and suffering, people blame Jesus Christ for it, but you know what? Or they blame God. God had nothing to do with this. All man had to do was be obedient, but man would not. So now when you look today at what's going on in the world and all these things that are happening, this wasn't God's command. This is what God sent the gospel so that you and I can return unto glory and be saved. But some people are so puffed up in their vanity and their own righteousness and goodness that they don't want Jesus. So David is asking to be, um, you know, delivered from the great waters of the hand of strange children. That means those who don't know the ways of God nor want them. Look at verse eight, whose mouth speaketh vanity and their right hand is the right hand of falsehood. Now, this is true. Now, a right hand means like an upright hand. It means a good hand, okay? It means to be on the good or righteous side of things. Their right hands are falsely. I gave you guys an example of this. Isn't it amazing how parents can tell their children, don't do this, don't do that, but then the parents are doing the same thing? Isn't it amazing how pastors can tell you they love Jesus and they're righteous men of God, but can still be partakers of sin when no one's around? This is all a part of our self-righteous self nature and not the goodness that is of the living God. So let's understand this. So out of their mouth, they speak vanity, their right hand, their righteousness is falsehood. It says, I will sing a new song unto thee, O God, upon a psaltery and an instrument of 10 strings, will I sing praises unto thee. Now this is key. We did a teaching uh, not too long ago called the symphony of the Lord. And what the Lord wanted to do in that teaching was to explain to people that, you know, we are instruments of God. Do you know when we live righteous lives that we in our very hearts can give God praise, that we become new instruments, righteous instruments that can sing a new song. When it says to play a song of 10 strings, he's talking about here to play a song that is of like what you would call the Ten Commandments, but not to follow the Ten Commandments, but to understand that the first five commandments of God is to love the Lord thy God with your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And the last five are to love your neighbor as yourself. So this is the instrument of 10 strings that we can play in our instruments toward the Lord is to be righteous and a sweet smelling savor before God. So he says in verse uh, 10, it is he that giveth salvation unto kings who delivereth David his servant from the hurtful sword. Rid me and deliver me from the hand of strange children whose mouth speaketh vanity and their right hand is the right hand of falsehood. That our sons may be as plants grown up in their youth, that our daughters may be as cornerstones polished after the similitude of the palace. So God wants us to be as precious stones. But notice here when David mentioned about the right hand of vanity and falsehood and the strange children, you know, the Bible tells us in Matthew 10 that, uh, what, what does he say exactly? That he who killeth you will think that he doeth God a service. So if you think going to church is gonna be the answer to this, and, do you, and if you think that just trying to be righteous by your own standards and that you don't need to be born again, you know, you're going to be sorely mistaken in this because 
Or you can be with religion and self-righteous, but God wants you to know him in an intimate way and in a very personal way that we may have God, okay? So let's understand that. So then it says, um, look at verse 13, that our garners, that means our robes of righteousness, may be full, affording all manner of store, that our sheep may bring forth thousands and ten thousands of our streets. So this is talking about ringing in a harvest for, harvest for God. If we do the righteous works that are of God, then God will allow us to ring in a harvest, okay? So you see, with our righteousness or the righteousness of Christ, which allows us to bring people unto the gospel, it will be because people will see Christ in us, okay? This is how you ring in the harvest. Look at verse 14, that our oxen may be strong to labor, that there be no breaking in nor going out, that there be no complaining in our streets, Happy is that people that is in such a case. Yea, happy is that people whose God is the Lord. And we are a happy people when, when our Lord is God because we understand that we only have the true God. We've got an everlasting God. And the, the Lord even tells us in Isaiah, I am the Lord thy God and there is none beside me. Do you know of another? I don't know of another. So when we, you know, decide to leave the devil and fall in line with God and love Jesus Christ, this becomes a good thing in our lives. Why? Because we change sides to the righteous side of God that we may be righteous. So praise ye the Lord for what he wants to do, what he plans to do, and let us have a heart after God from this point on. Let us understand the goodness of God. It wasn't you who paid your bills. It wasn't you that was rescued from prison. It wasn't you that was on drugs and set and were set free. It was the mercy and grace and goodness of God to set you free that you might find him. We never find God, ladies and gentlemen. God finds us. God was never lost, but we were. So man, think of his goodness and his righteousness and his faithfulness that the Bible says he even pours his, his righteousness or his reign on the just and the unjust. God knows that some of us are unrighteous. God knows that many of our ways are unrighteous, but it doesn't stop God from being faithful. But our sins can distance us from God because God can't be a part of that which is unrighteous. So it's important that we understand that God's goodness is worthy of praise. And that's what we're going to talk about. If we want the fruit of goodness, then we must be partaker of him who has the good fruits. That's what this whole thing is about. Okay, so let's look at Psalm 31. And oh no, actually Psalm 45 right next door. Let's read this, and then we'll go to Psalm 31 afterwards. But this is also David's psalm of praise. That's why David was known as a man after God's own heart, because one thing that David did was love the Lord and, and see his imperfections, that he wanted to be more and more like God every day. All right, this is Psalm 145. Let's look at verse 1. I will extol thee, my God, O King, and I will bless thy name forever and ever. Every day will I bless thee, 
and I will praise thy name forever and ever. Amen. This is someone that is sold out to the Lord, someone who understands the goodness of God, because God had delivered David from many trials, given David many victories, even when his own son and others came against him. Even when David was cursed with a curse because of his unrighteousness, God never forgot David. God was faithful to David. God used David and God restored David's days. You know why? Because God is good. Let's look at verse three. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised and his greatness is unsearchable. So in other words, you know, a lot of people, that would be like trying to put God in a test tube and let's say, let's see how good you are. Let's see if we can measure your goodness. God's goodness is unsearchable. His greatness is beyond human comprehension and understanding. To understand the mind of God in its entirety would be like us holding a teacup with our little brains and pouring in every bit of water on the earth, above the earth and below the earth. And that's unthinkable. You know, God is limitless, but it says his greatness is unsearchable. One generation shall praise thy works to another and shall declare thy mighty acts. I will speak of the glorious honor of thy majesty and of thy wondrous works. The men shall speak of the might of the terrible acts, and I will declare thy greatness. So a lot of people can talk about things that God did. And when it means terrible here, it doesn't mean bad. It means like full of awe. But you see, this is the goodness and righteousness of God that David wants to focus on. Look at verse six, uh, verse seven, actually. They shall abundantly utter the memory of thy great goodness and shall sing of thy righteousness. The Lord is gracious and full of compassion, slow to anger and of great mercy. Now we have to think about this because even when we were unsaved, we committed some abominable acts. We've even said things in ignorance, negative against God when we didn't know any better, but God was still there seeing the beginning from the end, giving us a chance to find him and know him, even allowing people like me to get on here and preach the gospel and tell people the truth. Why? So that they may choose Jesus Christ as the righteous. You guys want to know what the missing void in your life is? It's this right here. It's Jesus Christ. Okay, we might know our bodies and we may know our mind, our will and our emotions as our souls, but we have no understanding of God's righteousness if we are not partakers of his spirit. So let's understand that. So he says in verse nine, the Lord is good to all and his tender mercies are over all his works. Amen. All thy works shall praise thee, O Lord, and thy saints shall bless thee. They shall speak of the glory of thy kingdom and talk of thy mercy. I mean, talk of thy power. Sorry. So, you know, I don't know about anybody else, but for me as a Christian, you know, I'd love to hear about the awesome stories, how David slew Goliath, how the Lord parted the Red Sea for the children of Israel, how God, you know, just saved Lot and his two daughters and his wife, which she turned back. But he destroyed wickedness where there was wickedness that Noah, the eighth person was allowed to be on the flood. I mean, on the, you know, uh, ark of the, uh, the ark of uh, Noah to escape the flood. 
You see God in his goodness. He's always there. He's always merciful. He's always caring. His desires are always that we might make it. The Bible says that God doesn't want one person to sin, but that all may come to repentance and to live with him in eternity. So look at God's good works. Look at verse 12. It says to make known to the sons of men his mighty acts and the glorious majesty of his kingdom. Thy kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and thy dominion endureth throughout all generations. And uh, the Lord upholdeth all that fall and raiseth up all those that are bowed down or bowed down. So we must understand here that the Lord's goodness is even to help those who are unsaved. God wants us, that's why God pushes for us to preach the gospel to every creature, because God wants all men to recognize their faults, to recognize that God is good. The Bible even tells us to taste the Lord and see that he is good. And that's what we must understand. In order to understand God, you've got to give God time. You've got to see all the glory, all the praise, all the goodness that he's brought in your life. How if you follow him, that he is going to give you the benefits of righteous individuals. I know two elders that I need to call, you know, uh, my brother Dick and my sister Marge. They're 90 years old and they're still preaching the gospel and the Lord has preserved their lives from sickness and all manner of disease. There is nothing that can hold down a person that will uplift Jesus because the joy of the Lord is our strength. Verse, uh, so, you know, when you bow yourself before the Lord and you humble yourself before the Lord, God will exalt you in due time. That's what verse 14 means. Verse 15 says, the eyes of all wait upon thee and thou givest them their meat in due season. It's just what I said, you know, if we wait on the Lord that he will give us meat in due season. If we follow God and do the things that God calls us to, that though if we bow ourselves before him, God will exalt us. The way to God's kingdom is down. You've got to have a lowly nature. You've got to humble yourself before God in order to go up. Jesus walked this way. Jesus could have come as God in the flesh and made everybody bow down and worship him. But what Jesus came is as a servant in the likeness of man. Okay, and he made himself lower than the angels that he can come in and serve us. And because of that, because he died, because he took all the sins of the world, because of his death, burial, and resurrection, God highly exalted him and gave him a name above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow, every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So the way to God's kingdom is down. Look at verse 16. Thou openest thy hand and satisfiest the desire of every living thing. The Lord is righteous in all his ways and holy in all his works. Now, another way of recognizing God's goodness and understanding that God is righteous or humbling yourself is to know even if God does things that you don't understand, you must understand that God cannot be wrong, that God is righteous no matter what, no matter what it looks like to fallen you and I. 
And I realized that there were many things that I thought that God did that were unrighteous, only to get to know him and have more wisdom and understanding in the mind of Christ to say, man, Lord, you are good. Praise your wisdom and your holy name for what you do is good. Okay, look at uh, verse uh, 18. The Lord is near. He's nigh unto all them that call upon him, to all that call upon him in truth. So you see, man needs to stop looking at his own righteousness and begin to reverence the righteousness of God. Because you see, if you're proud and you've got your own righteousness, God won't work with you. That's why the Bible says, God resists the proud, but giveth grace unto the humble. Okay? So it says in verse 19, he will fulfill the desire of them that fear him. He also will hear their cry and will save them. Because you see, God is wise enough to know that if you don't want him or don't feel like you need him, then what role can he play in your life? But when you humble yourself before him and you recognize that he is good and he is your only savior and you're not even responsible for the breath in your lungs, when you hang on to God's word that is written and spoken by his spirit and you understand that God is right, then you will fear the Lord because you truly know that God is no joke. That if God decides to move on you and I, there is no one in the world that can stop him. The buck truly stops at his desk. So to fear God or to fear to, to be, you know, uh, condemned for what God wants us to do, you know, we need to really fall in line with him. Don't be disobedient. Be as a child. Children learn more from their parents when they are obedient and they want to please their parents if their parents are righteous people in Christ. But if we understand God's goodness, we will have fear of God. We won't want to play him cheap. We won't want to stand before him and try and challenge him because there is nothing we can do against God. So we understand that the fear of the Lord, the Bible says, is the beginning of all wisdom and understanding, okay? And then it says he will, he also will hear their cry and will save them. You see, we need more humility for God to act in our lives. Verse 20 says, the Lord preserveth all them that love him, but all the wicked will he destroy. So you see, when you love God, and the way that you can show love, as we talked about earlier in this series, is to be obedient unto God, that God will be pleased with you and do things for you. But if you stand against God, it'll be the way Jesus said it is, that if you fall on me, you'll be broken. But if I fall on you, I will grind you to powder. So you don't want to be whole and challenge God. You want to be broken before God so that he can make us whole, okay? Verse 21 says, my mouth shall speak the praise of the Lord and let all flesh bless his holy name forever and ever. Man, God is good. And that's what I'm talking about tonight. I want people to truly taste the goodness of the Lord. I thought I was good too, up until I got saved. I even believed I was a Christian, though I lived in sin constantly because I misunderstood the Bible. I had false teachers in my life telling me that, well, if you believe in the name of Jesus, you will have everlasting life. 
Okay, so how do we know that we believe? You see, a believer is a doer. A believer will obey whatever it is that they believe. Okay, you won't do anything in this life that you don't believe. So when those questions came to me and I was challenged with the gospel, I knew then that I had to change because God's word says that if we confess our sins, that he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. There is no goodness outside of God. God's love is selfless. But when you find a lot of false religions and things out there, and false gospels, the people become self-serving. They don't become servants of others. You see, true goodness makes you want to look outwardly to perform and help others to do the things for others, not to glory in self, not to care about your own needs and desires. You truly become a servant of Christ and his goodness will spill out unto others to be saved. So praise be the Lord. So let's look at Psalm 31 and let's look at verse one. I love these Psalms to uplift the name of Jesus because you know, if you've had trials in your life and I've had many, you better understand that God is always in control. That is the goodness and mercy of God. So this is Psalm 31. Here's another Psalm of David. All right. Psalm 31, and let's look at verse one. He says, in thee, O Lord, do I put my trust. Let me never be ashamed. Deliver me of thy righteousness. So we understand here that David is saying that he puts his trust in God. And he said, let me never be ashamed. Never be ashamed of trusting in God. Jesus said that if you confess me before men, him also will I confess before my father, which is in heaven. If you deny me before men, then him will I also deny before my father, which is in heaven. Jesus says, if you be ashamed of me, I'll be ashamed of you. Now that is goodness and righteousness. Why should Jesus stand up for you and I if we won't even tell people about his goodness? The very fact that we can hide Jesus from others shows that we don't have goodness in our character. We still need to grow that fruit of goodness that we can, um, you know, give goodness unto others, which is Jesus. So he says, bow down thine ear to me. Deliver me speedily. Be thou my strong rock for an house of defense to save me. So he's making clear, man, God is his defense to save him. Look at verse three. For thou art my rock and my fortress. Therefore, for thy name's sake, lead me and guide me. Pull me out of the net that they have laid privily for me, for thou art my strength. Now, David has an understanding that only God can pull you out of the snares and the traps of the enemy. Here's an important thing to understand. If we don't have the mind of Christ and we are not exposed to God's goodness nor understand it, then what you're going to think is you're someone that's free in this world, not even realize that you're snared to the music. You're snared to the entertainment of this world. You're snared to the job that you think is good when really it's all about building the devil's kingdom and serving Satan. So you see, you can think that you're free. One of the greatest ways that the devil used to enslave man was to let to give him a slavery that he would enjoy. 
was to make him think that he was free the whole time and he was a slave. That's why I tell people to watch that movie, The Matrix, and have an understanding of it because The Matrix was a computer-generated dream world that was stimulated by the mind that everybody thought was real, but the real world was nothing like it, okay? And that's unfortunately the world that we live in today. We have all this entertainment and excitement that doesn't amount to a hill of beings. We can think that we have millions of dollars in the bank only to find out that if we're moving to plastic, then that means that your money has no value. I want you to think about this. If everything's being moved to information and the dollar hasn't been backed since 1934 by gold, then all we've got is Charmin toilet paper. We got Scott tissue that we think is actually worth something, but really it's just information to control the masses. You think you own a house? You'll find out that if you stop paying the taxes, even after you bought that house, it gets it gets uh, foreclosed. OK, if you stop paying, you know, the insurance on the car that you bought and paid for, the car will be taken away. So you see, there's not much that we can keep here in this life, only Christ. So I just want to give people some understanding of that. OK, so back to where I was, he said, the Lord is his strength. This is verse five. Into thy hand I commit my spirit. Thou hast redeemed me, O Lord God of truth. Now remember, Jesus is one who said this. This is speaking of him also when he was, um, you know, poured out his soul unto death on the cross. He said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. But David is also speaking of being committed to God and letting God rule over your spirit with whatever he chooses. Look at verse six. I have hated them that regard lying vanities, but I trust in the Lord. I will be glad and rejoice in thy mercy, for thou hast considered my trouble. Thou hast known my soul in adversities and hast not shut me up into the hand of the enemy. Thou hast set my feet in a large room. Have mercy upon me, O Lord, for I am in trouble. Mine eye is consumed with grief. Yea, my soul and my belly. So David says something here in, in verse um, 11, I mean, not 11, verse 8, when he says that God has not shut him up into the hand of the enemy or let the enemy have dominion over him. You know, that's something I can say myself with all the trials, you know, when all the time I spent unsaved, when all that, you know, I was cornered and snared in, the Lord has never left the enemy laughing in my face. So you see, I give him all the praise, all the honor, and all the glory, because our God is truly good. If you follow him, you may have trials, you may have tribulations. I'm not going to say those things won't come. That is going to be the life of a Christian. But one thing God will do is deliver you and give you victory over every single one. All right. So he says in verse 10, for my life is spent with grief and my years with sighting, my strength faileth because of mine iniquity, and my bones are consumed. So we understand that David's making clear with what he's going through in life, his strength fails him at times, and he is spending a life of grief in his years. Why? Because of his own iniquity. What is iniquity? Iniquity is the very nature that you and I inherited from Adam. 
No one has to teach a child how to do wrong. Children will do wrong and are naturally selfish, okay, when they're born, all right? A child will even play the game of crying constantly till you pick them up. They learn very early in life how to manipulate, how to do things. Now, does this mean the child is evil? No, because children are ignorant, but no one has to teach a child how to do bad. That comes with the very nature that you and I inherited from Adam. And this is why the Lord tells us we need to be born again to see the kingdom of God, to be a partaker of God's spirit, that the iniquity, the very nature we have will be plucked up by the roots and we can live a sinless, healthy, and exciting life for Christ. So he says in verse, um, verse 11, I was a reproach among all mine enemies, but especially among my neighbors, and a fear to mine acquaintances, I mean, to my acquaintance. Then it says, they that did see me without fled from me. I am forgotten as a dead man, out of mind, and I am a broken, I am like a broken vessel. So remember that even though this is speaking of David and David is going through his things, this is a prophecy of David concerning Jesus Christ and how he was treated. But you know that Jesus never departed or never had iniquity in his life, but he became the iniquity of you and I so that he could die be resurrected, and we can be born again and be partakers of his spirit. So verse 12 says, I am forgotten as a dead man. Out of mine, I am like a broken vessel, for I have heard the slander of many. Fear was on every side while they took counsel together against me. They devised to take away my life. Now, this is what Jesus was also dealing with. Remember when the Pharisees and so many came after him and wanted him. David many times had to run for his life, and God always made sure that David was victorious in battle. This is the goodness and the faithfulness of God. Verse 14, but I trusted in thee, O Lord. I said, thou art my God. My times are in thy hand. Uh, deliver me from the hand of mine enemies and from them that persecute me. So we understand that if we be of Christ, then we are in the hands of God. And it says in Romans 8 that no man can pluck you out of the hand of God and no one can separate you from the love of God. If Jesus came to take the keys over death and hell, then we must also understand that no man can take your life until God says that your time is up. You know how many doctors told people they had six months to live, a few weeks, they would never make it, only to see the miraculous intervention of the goodness of God to preserve this person's life to live late in years? You see, so it's always up to God when something happens. Now, of course, our iniquity can give us disease and sin, that can cause us to die early in life. But that's not God's will. If we stay of Christ and do what God says, we will have a fruitful life, one that is pleasing before him, and God will be all things unto you. Your comforter, he'll be your counselor, he will be your mighty God and father if we give it all to him. Look at verse 16. Make thy face to shine upon thy servant. Save me for thy mercy's sake. Let me not be ashamed, O Lord, 
for I have called upon thee. Let the wicked be ashamed and let them be silent in the grave. Let the lying lips be put to silence, which speak grievous things proudly and contemptuously against the righteous. Uh, oh, how great is thy goodness, which thou hast laid up for them that fear thee, which thou hast wrought for them that trust in thee before the sons of men. So you see, how great is God's goodness? That's why the Bible tells us to count our blessings that we may understand the goodness of God. Like I said, I've had so many trials in my life, man. I don't deserve to be saved. I don't deserve to be born again. I don't deserve to preach the righteousness of God. But you see, to be partaker of God's goodness and his fruits is the only way to be. Why is it important that we accept the fruit of righteousness or the fruit of goodness in God? Because if not, then we can misjudge God. We can misunderstand him. There are things that God will do for us that we will simply overlook and find that it's unrighteousness or be upset with God. You know, we'll call him unloving. We'll think that he's hard when really God is truly good. So it takes to know God to be freed of these things that he may show these things to us. God wants you to see his goodness. What's keeping it from you and I and from those fruit manifesting in us is that we want to be someone of our own accord instead of reverencing and worshiping God, giving it to our creator, he that made the heavens and the earth and all that is. We've got to learn to know this Jesus that we may have his grace and favor with us that things may be well with us in every part of our lives. Look at verse 20. Thou shalt hide them in the secret of thy presence from the pride of man. You see that? Thou shalt keep them secretly in his pavilion from the strife of tongues. Blessed be the Lord, for he hath shewed me his marvelous kindness in a strong city. For I said in my haste, I am cut off from before thine eyes. Nevertheless, thou heardest the voice of my supplication when I cried unto thee. You know, God will seem like he's far away, but if we give God his glory, if we come to him with a broken and contrite spirit, God won't despise. When we call on him, the Bible makes clear God will hear the prayers of the righteous. So it says in verse 23, O love the Lord, all ye his saints, for the Lord preserveth the faithful and, plenty, and plentifully um, rewardeth the proud doer. Okay, rewarded the proud doer. Be of good courage and he shall strengthen your heart. All ye that hope in the Lord. So you see, Man, you know, we've just got to know the goodness of God. Have you even thought about how many times when you were in fornication that you had sex unprotected, that you took home some man or woman from the club and you laid up drunk having your fun only to find out that God didn't allow you to catch a disease from this person? You know, even that God allowed you to not go home and that person could have had HIV. We could be walking and there are times you can leave your house and you forget something and you run back to the house. 
and then you forget something else and you run back to the house and you forget something else and then you've got to run back. You ever have mornings like that? You ever wonder why those things are? Because it's very possible that God can be trying to throw your timing off so that you won't see any harm come your way. We truly don't know minute from minute, hour to hour, what can happen to us. And that's why it's good to be of God because God sees all things. I'll give you guys an example. I mentioned this on another study, but one night, you know, um, one of my friends, Sarah, who's of the ministry, we went out to actually uh, feed the homeless. And I usually take about 20 sandwiches to give to the homeless people. And I was short one sandwich and I could have swore that I counted 20. Well, either way, when I got home, I realized that I was short one sandwich. So I went off to work the next day and I said I would get the sandwich or more sandwiches the next day. So I could have gone immediately after work, but I just went home to relax. And then around the time that we had to go and feed those that were homeless, you know, I decided to go then to go and get the sandwiches. Well, a funny thing happened in the place where we usually feed the homeless. We were at the supermarket. And what ended up happening was that, you know, shots rang out. I heard about eight to 10 shots, my friend Sarah and I. And the funny thing was God saw to it that we weren't there at that time because God didn't want us to get caught up in the crossfire. So you see, if we would have just gone and just said, oh, well, I've got 19. Let's just go and feed the homeless. What would have come before us, okay, could have been our very end. But as you can see, God is good and his mercy endures forever. So, you know, thank you, Jesus, for what he does. I want to go to another place, but we may not have a lot of time. So let's go to Luke 15, Luke chapter 15, and let's look at verse 1. This is Luke 15, and let's read this story in verse 1. Oh, man. So we're going to begin at verse 11. Sorry, not verse 1. This is Luke 15 and verse 11. And he said, a certain man, this is Jesus telling us a parable, had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falleth to me. And he divided unto them his living. So this guy pretty much asked God for his life savings. He asked his father for him. His father said, here you go. Look at verse 13. And not many days after the younger son gathered all together and took his journey into a far country and there wasted his substance in riotous living. So this guy was a wild partier. He took the money that his father gave him, separated himself from his father, and went and lived like the devil, spent every dollar, every penny he had because he didn't understand the value of it. So he lived riotous. This guy partied. He went to clubs. He drank. He smoked the dope. He did all these things. He laid up and fornicated. Now, am I trying to be funny? No. But what I'm trying to do is give people an understanding of how we are today with this story. So look at verse 14. And when he had spent all his money, that's what it meant by all, there arose a mighty famine in that land, 
and he began to be in want. So now there's a famine, there's a lack of everything. He spent all his savings. And, you know, now he's in desire. He's in need. Okay, look at verse 15. And he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country, and he sent him into his field to feed swine. So imagine coming from a place of a father of royalty. My dad's got all this stuff. I asked my dad for my portion. He gave it to me, and I left my father's side to go and eat and feed with the pigs, to lose everything. And now I've joined myself to a citizen of the country. Okay, and all he's given me is a swine-fed job. Okay, I've gone down to hanging in the pigsty when at one point I would have never even looked at it. We must understand this parable and what Jesus is speaking. Many of us have denied Jesus Christ and walked away from God, have walked away from the salvation that God gave us. And we took everything God gave us for self. And then who comes along? The devil. Usually when girls don't have love at home or sons don't have love at home, the sons become whoremongers and the daughters become, well, I don't want to say promiscuous, they become whorish, okay? They sleep around, they do all sorts of things, okay? Now, why does this happen? Because you see, we look for false love. We look for false goodness. We look for alternative ways to live a prosperous life. But in doing so, you know, the devil ends up picking up that tab that, that we uh, leave away from God, and he ends up treating us like garbage. He'll let us go become rich. He'll let you go and live in this world, you know, get into Hollywood, make money and do all sorts of things. Let me tell you something about the people in Hollywood. Even the very royal people of this world or the so-called elite don't even want to be around them. They call them the scum of the earth. That is what they call the people that we watch Hollywood movies and things that, that we love and we want to get their autograph. They consider these people the lowest people on earth because you don't understand about the director's couch and you don't understand about what goes on. Uh, even if you're a rapper, you got you got to uh, be a part of homosexual activities and things. You got to be sodomized to get a record deal today. You don't understand the filth and depravity and child sacrifice and all the things that these people do in order to try and get fame and get riches. He went out there, this guy for riches, and he joined himself to a citizen of the country only to find out what? That he's got a swine feeding job for him. If we only understood the goodness of God and the fruit of goodness that you can only get by knowing Jesus Christ and being a part of him and him in you, then we would forsake a lot of these things in the world that are vanity, and we would go after Jesus and serve him with a full heart and truly desire his ways. All right, so let's look at verse 16. And he would fain, and he would fain have filled his belly uh, with the tusk that the swine did eat, and no man gave unto him. And when he came to himself, he said, how many hired servants of my father's have bread enough uh, to spare and I perish with hunger? So this guy came to himself. You can pretty much say that he was approached with the revelation 
of Jesus Christ, that he came to himself. He desired to be born again. How did I turn into this? I was just an innocent child and through being a part of this world and trying to have my portion in it, by using the glorious temple that God made us to be because God made everything good and I turned around and gave it unto the world. Look at me down in a pigsty. I'm a fornicator. I'm a liar. I'm a thief. I'm an adulterer. I'm a drug addict. I'm a drunkard. All because I took what God gave me and used it for the enemy. Let's understand this. So this man came to himself. How did I get all the way over here? In my father's house, would I have lacked? Would anything have been against me? So what this guy is beginning to recognize is my father is good. And what do I want you to recognize tonight? That your father is good and your Lord and Savior is good. Look at verse 18. I will arise and go to my father, and I will say unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before thee. So what is this man doing, this son? He's repenting. He's going to go to his father, turn from his wicked ways because he understands his father's ways were good. The way that he got treated in the world, his father never would have treated him this way. So this guy is repenting simply because he knows that God is good. His father is good and he is not. And he says in verse 19, and I am no more worthy to be called thy son. Make me of one of thy hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But when he was yet a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. You see the goodness of God, because that's what this parable is about. If you have walked away from God's goodness, I'm here to tell you, God wants you to come home. If you once knew Jesus and gave yourself over to unimaginable filth, guess what? Your father wants you to repent and to come home. While this guy was a great way off, his father saw him and ran and greeted him and kissed him and hung on his neck. The father loved his son, never asked him where he was, never accused him of being a traitor, never looked at him and said, you know what? You owe me a lot more for what you have done. You see the goodness of God. That's what this parable is here to tell you. God is good. Jesus Christ is good. If you were raised in a church, you know, and you gave your life to the Lord, if you sang in the choir to the Lord at one point, whatever the Lord has brought you to, God wants you to come home and cut the foolishness and recognize that no one's going to love you but God. How many men are you going to have to sleep with, women, to understand that only God loves you and God will choose a husband for you of his choosing that will love you? How many women out there or men are going to be married to or hang around these women that are not good, that are using you for your money, that would rather sleep with you than pretend to pursue Jesus and, and, and do all these things that they're doing? We must understand the goodness of God and repent and come home because this is what God wants for you, to live a life that is sanctified above unrighteousness, above filth, above sin, because God meant for us to be good. That's how he made us. And that's what he sent Jesus Christ that you and I will become. 
Look at verse 21. And the son said unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in thy sight, and I am no more worthy to be called your son. And then it says, but the father said to his servants, bring forth the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring hither the fatted calf, bring him the best calf and kill it and let us eat and be merry. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found and they began to be merry. So what does God want from you and I? Not your explanation, only that you repent and you come to him. And God wants reconciliation. God wants to be with his children that he may make you good by his spirit, that you can live a victorious life freed from sin and you can walk in the ways of Jesus and introduce Jesus to others. Verse 25 says, now his eldest son, was in the house. And as he came and drew nigh to the house, he heard music and dancing. And he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said unto him, thy brother is come and thy father hath killed the fatted calf because he hath received him safe and sound. And he was angry. So the oldest son was angry and would not go in. Therefore uh, came his father out and entreated him. So you see, this can also be a story of a Christian. Some of us were born again and saved for 30 years. Some of us have seen people leave, okay, the church or leave uh, the faith and then come back. And instead of greeting them and being happy to see them in God's goodness, we become jealous because God has accepted that person again and given them his spirit and treating that person as if nothing ever happened. People get mad at this. People hate that. But you see, that's because they're good by their righteousness, not understanding what about you? What about when you were yet a sinner, how God loved you to bring you in? You see how your goodness can be tainted, but of the fruit that is of the goodness of God, you will see it just like God sees it right here. So the, the oldest son is upset and look at verse 29. And he answering said to his father, lo, these many years I do serve thee, neither transgressed I at any time. Thy commandment and yet thou never gavest me a kid that I might make merry with my friends. But as soon as, his, as this my son was come, as soon as this thy son was come, which thou devoured thy living uh, with harlots, thou hast killed for him the fatty calf. Verse 31 says, and he said unto him, son, thou art ever with me and all that I have is yours. Then he said, all that he have is thine. He says in verse 32, it was me that we should make merry and be glad for this thy brother was dead and is alive again and was lost and is found. So you see, we must have an understanding here that the reason why the older son never received the fatted calf, because the older son didn't realize that the fatted calf was already his. He was already a partaker of the goodness of his father. He already had the inheritance. But you see, the son that ran away and came back, God treated him with goodness. 
because God is good. So you see, he didn't just party with the new son that came in or the son that came back. He also wanted his older son to come back also and be a part of it. You see, our God is no respecter of persons and that's what makes him good because we were all the living dead before Jesus found you and I. Praise ye the Lord. But this is the heart of God. This is the goodness of God. All you've got to do is repent of your sins, accept the gift that Jesus Christ has given us, know that he died for your sins and you take his shed blood as a gift for the remission of your sins and you give your heart to Jesus and learn of him and desire to live for him. And that is the way to seek Christ. That is the way to be of Jesus. Just repent of your sins and accept his gift of salvation that he died for you. And he will help you to forsake those sins and live victorious in him. Man, that's the good fruit. The fruit of goodness is of God that contains all of the fruit of God. So let's look at Romans 2 and let's look at verse 1. Romans 2 and 1. All right. Look at Romans 2. Let's look at verse 1. He says, Therefore thou art inexcusable, O man, whosoever thou art that judgest, for wherein thou judgest another, thou condemnest thyself, for thou that judgest doeth the same things. So what is Paul speaking of against here? Hypocritical judgment. A lot of us can consider ourselves goodness by our own righteousness that we think we're good. But Paul says, man, if you condemn someone, you condemn yourself because you're a partaker of the same sins. God's not against righteous judgment. God's against hypocritical judgment. The Bible says that he which is spiritual judgeth all things, but he that, um, but, but he himself is judged of no man. So as you can see, the spiritual man is God's man. The spiritual man is that man which is led by the spirit. The spiritual man is the man that grows the fruit of goodness and all the other fruit of the spirit to walk with God. He is qualified to judge all things because he understands the goodness and righteousness of God that can allow him to judge a situation righteously by God's spirit. So let's look at verse two. But we are sure that the judgment of God is according to truth against them which commit such things. And thinkest thou this, O man, that judgest them which do such things and doest the same, that thou shalt escape the judgment of God? So you think by speaking against sin and being a partaker of sin in your private life that you're going to escape the judgment of God? Do you not understand that God sees all and judges all? God is no respecter of persons. All the way from the pastor down to the sinner in the bar, it's all the same story. God wants us all to be good and holy and not be hypocrites because a hypocrite is not of the nature of God. All right, so let's look at verse four and it says, or despiseth thou the riches of his goodness and forbearance and long suffering, uh, not knowing that the goodness of God leadeth to repentance. So as you can see, when you understand the goodness of God, it will lead you to repentance. When I first got saved to read this Bible almost made me sick because everything the Bible spoke about was about me. 
It was a mirror before my face that everything I looked at, I saw the, the, the unrighteousness and the sin within. And you see that godly sorrow makes you want to repent because you recognize that it's not you who is good. It is only God. And that's what makes you seek repentance. When you know that you're damned, when you know that you're a sinner, when you know what this word of God says about sin, and for all those who commit sin, if they don't repent, you know that you need a savior or you're going to spend the rest of your life in hell. And that's something that we better understand is that godly sorrow bringeth forth repentance. Okay, look at verse five. But after thy hardness and impenitent heart treasurest up unto thyself wrath against the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God. So you see, that's why we need to repent because we will end up facing the wrath of God. Jesus, Jesus faced the wrath of God for all those who would repent and want to come to him. That is a free gift that you can't buy with anything, with the only with the acceptance of repentance and acknowledging Jesus Christ for what he did to take his free offering of salvation that we can live a life that is holy and be with God in eternity. So let's look at verse six. He says, who will render to every man according to his deeds? to them who by patient continuance and well-doing seek for glory and honor and immortality, eternal life. But unto them that are contentious and do not obey truth, you hear this? But obey unrighteousness, indignation and wrath, tribulation and anguish upon every soul of man that doeth evil to the Jew first and also to the Gentile. You see how God says, if you repent and you do well, God will accept you. But you see, Cain wanted to be good by his own goodness, not the goodness of God. And what happened? His offer was rejected. Abel gave God his absolute best because Abel saw the goodness of God and knew that God was deserving of all Abel had. And because of that, Abel's offer was accepted. And then you've seen old self-righteous, unrighteous Cain wanted to kill his own brother because why Cain thought that by eliminating Abel that that would make him right. But as you can see, when we don't understand God's goodness, our whole logic is skewed. Our understanding is completely, you know, not of God. All right, so let's move on. I want to go to Ephesians 5. Let's look at the goodness of God, Ephesians chapter five, and let's begin at verse one. Thank you, Jesus. All right, this is Ephesians five. Let's look at verse one. He says, be ye therefore followers of God as dear children and walk in love as Christ also hath loved us and have given himself for us in offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet smelling savor. So as you can see, Jesus offered himself as a good offering for you and I. Look at the goodness of God. Verse three, but fornication and all uncleanness and covetousness, let it not be once named among you. He didn't say not 10 times, let it not be once named among you. Okay, and then he says, 
uh, as becometh saints. So when you become a saint, a saint of God is one that is separated unto the righteousness of God, okay, that is separate and is of God, not a partaker of the world. Oh, excuse me, guys. Look at verse four, and it says, neither filthiness nor foolish talking nor jesting, which are not convenient, but rather giving of thanks. So this is talking about, you know, God doesn't even want these things to be a part of our nature. Filthiness, not of God. Foolish talking or jesting, not of God. Why? Because if we can foolish talk or jest, we can preach the gospel. So you see, foolishness has no, it's a, it's a time waster. It's not of what God called us to do. So you see, but he says, but instead of doing that, man, give thanks to God. Look at verse five. For this ye know that no whoremonger, nor unclean person, nor covetous man who is an idolater have any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Let no man deceive you with vain words. For because of these things cometh the wrath of God upon the children of disobedience. So don't be fooled. Don't take God's goodness lightly and think you got time to fool around. Don't let any pastor tell you we all sin and we can't do anything about it. We can be partakers of God's goodness and righteousness if we pursue God, because outside of that is the wrath of God to fall on every man who has not accepted Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, okay? Look at verse seven. Be not ye therefore partakers with them, for ye were sometimes darkness, but now are ye light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. So you see the fruit of goodness? It talks about here that at one point we were in darkness and we walked the way of sinners. That's no secret to anybody that was in the world and unsaved. He says, but now ye are in the light of the Lord. Walk as children of light. Look at verse nine. For the fruit of the spirit is in all goodness and righteousness and truth. So remember, for them that worship God, we must worship him in spirit and truth. You see why we need to be partakers of God's goodness, of God's fruit? Because we need his goodness and righteousness. That is the spirit of God. Look at verse 10, proving what is acceptable unto the Lord and have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather reprove them. So he tells us to not be partakers of the things or having fellowship with unfruitful works of darkness. So you see, darkness keeps us from being fruitful because darkness separates us from God. What we need to do is make our bodies available unto God that his light can shine on us, that he can see the sin within, that we can repent of it and he can remove it and then can spring forth the goodness of the fruit or the fruit of goodness in God. So he says in verse uh, 12, for it is a shame even to speak of those things which are done of them in secret, but in all things that are reproved are made manifest by the light for whatsoever doth make manifest is light. So you see God's truth and God's word can be a hard pill to swallow sometimes, but you know what? 
It's only meant that we may be sanctified and bring forth those peaceable fruit in God. Jesus says in John 3 that men love darkness rather than light because their deeds are evil. It's just like you can be in a club and most clubs, the lights are out and dark. You can be at a nasty, grungy house party or bar. You'll see that the lights are out and dark. Why? Because you're up there grinding in the club, getting drunk, having a good time. If someone turns them lights on, you will scream to turn them off. Why? Because your deeds are evil. There is no other reason as to why people won't come to Jesus Christ is because they don't want the light shined on their sin because they de their deeds are evil. But you know, we all had evil deeds and some of us still have evil deeds and we need the Lord to shine more light on us that we may walk as children of light. Look at verse 14, wherefore he saith, awake thou that sleepest and arise from the dead and Christ shall give thee light. See that you walk circumspectly. That's walking, looking around, walking aware, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. So you see, unless we have God's fruit of goodness, unless we have God's goodness to shine light on our filthiness, we don't know where the evil lies. But if we walk with God and we're led by his spirit, then God will lead you unto every unrighteous thing to remove them from you that you can spring forth that fruit of goodness. Look at verse 17, wherefore be ye not unwise, but understanding uh, what the will of the Lord is and be not drunk with wine, wherein is it in his excess, but be filled with the spirit. Speaking to yourself in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. Now, why would you do this? Why would you sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs and make a melody in your heart to the Lord? Because you know that God is good and you are ever grateful that he found you in a world of sin and delivered you to make you a child of light. Look at verse 20, giving thanks always for all things unto God and the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. You see how God wants us to be good. Now let's get some examples of what, but you see the fear of the Lord is the beginning of goodness, I mean, all wisdom and understanding. So if you submit yourself in the fear of God, you don't want to hurt God and you don't want God to judge you. You want to walk as God leads so that we stay righteous. So look at verse 21, submitting yourselves unto one another in the fear of God. 22 says, wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord. This is where the fruit of goodness will be a good place to be because you know what? You'll have a lot of wives that think that they're good to their husbands because the husband is subject unto them. You see, but if challenged and, you know, the man is the spiritual head of the family, the Bible says that the head of every man is Christ. The head of the woman is the man and the head of Christ is God. That is God's divine order. But you see, for a wife to not submit herself to her husband, she's only good by her own standards because her husband is going along with what she wants. But will she be good also and sees God's ways or God's um, laws concerning marriage as good if God if she's ever if she's ever presented with the gospel? 
Look at verse 23. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, and he is the savior of the body. So therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. So the man is a spiritual head of the home. Anything outside of that is not a good marriage, okay? And, you know, and, and it's he's got instructions for the husbands here, ladies, so just listen. Look at verse 25. Husbands, love your wives even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. Now, a lot of men feel like, well, I'm the head of the house, so I don't have to love my wife, okay? I can treat her however because I'm the head. You see, so even that is not a marriage of goodness of God because God says to love his wife as Jesus Christ loved the church. And you know what Jesus did for the church, his very own life is a sacrifice. That's how a husband is supposed to love his wife. Anything outside of that is not a good marriage. It'll be good by your standards, but what? how good is it in comparison to God? Look at verse 26, that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of the water by the word. So you see, if you're a partaker of God's word and you see God's word is true and good, you will be sanctified and cleansed by the washing of the water by the word, which is the word of God, okay? So let's look at verse 27, that he might present it to himself, a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. So you see, Jesus Christ wants us to be good because he says he's going to present the church without a spot, wrinkle, or blemish. We could not do this of ourselves. We have to be of the nature of Christ. We have to have Jesus Christ formed in us to bring forth these peaceable fruit and mainly that fruit of goodness because God is good. All of the fruit are necessary, okay? But tonight, we're speaking about the fruit of goodness. So it says, um, look at 28. So ought men to love their wives as their own bodies. He that loveth his wife loveth himself. For no man yet hath hated his own flesh, but nourisheth and cherisheth it, even as the Lord the church. So just how you like to be clean, you like to make sure that you receive the best for you, you need to treat your wife the same way. And I'm not talking about material. As much as you love yourself, you should nourish and cherish your wife the same way. Look at verse 30. For we are members of his body, of one of his of flesh, and of his bones. For this cause shall a man leave his father and his mother, and shall be joined unto his wife, and the two shall be one flesh. You see how that commandment went all the way back to the beginning, even concerning, you know, Adam and Eve. You see, Adam and Eve were made in the image of God. What did Jesus Christ come to do and the Holy Ghost come to do? To bring us back to the state of goodness, because that's how God made everything from the beginning. Verse 32 says, this is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ in the church. Nevertheless, let every one of you in particular so love his wife even as himself, and the wife see that she reverence her husband. Now that is goodness in the sight of God. 
Last scripture of the night, I'm going to go to 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, and I am going to conclude from there. 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, and I am done. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. You are good, and there is none that compares to you. Thank you, Jesus. All right, 1 Thessalonians. No, it's 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, and let's begin at verse 1. So it says, Paul and Silvanus and Timotheus unto the church of the Thessalonians and God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace unto you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We are bound to thank God always for you, brethren, as it is meet, because that your faith groweth exceedingly, and the charity of every one of you all towards each other aboundeth, so that we ourselves glory in you, in the churches of God for your patience and faith, and in all your persecutions and tribulations that ye endure. Now, you know, this is also good for why God even allows us to suffer tribulation and persecution, because how would we understand God's goodness without it? Look at how God even filters us through evil to not even to count it bad that we get tempted. Why? Because God wants us to be overcomers of temptation and, and do away with the things that are not right. That's why God will allow us for a certain period of time to be in the world so that we can become sick of it, so that we can see the true evil because God is exposed to us, his goodness. Okay, so look at what it says in verse five, which is a manifest token of the righteousness, I mean, of the righteous uh, judgment of God, that ye may be counted worthy of the kingdom of God, for which ye also suffer. So suffering is a good thing. Why? So that way, if we set our affections above and not on the earth, we will be ready to receive eternal life. But if we enjoy ourselves in this evil world and, and allow ourselves to be tainted and spotted by it, then we'll love these things and not Jesus. The flesh lusteth against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. Look at verse six, seeing it is a righteous thing with God to recompense tribulation to them that trouble you. And to you who are troubled, rest with us when the Lord Jesus shall be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, taking vengeance on them that know not God. So let's look at that again. In flaming fire, taking vengeance. This is Jesus are gonna, is going to take vengeance on them that know not God. Now, will it be because they're ignorant of God? No, it's going to be because they were presented with the gospel and didn't want God in his goodness and that obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. So you see why it's important that we preach the gospel so that people won't face this fiery indignation. They will, you know, though this fiery vengeance, what they will do is seek God that they have a chance to live. That's why a lot of self-proclaiming Christians who call themselves good, that don't proclaim the gospel to others, they will also be those that will suffer God's vengeance. Why? Because they thought that they were good aside from the commandments of God. So let's look at verse nine. 
who shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power when he shall uh, come to be glorified in his saints and to be admired in all them that believe because our testimony among you was believed in that day. So you see, we must learn to be partaker of God's goodness and his fruits because outside of that is the wrath of God. Look at verse 11. Wherefore also we pray always for you that our God would count you worthy of this calling and fulfill all his good pleasure of his goodness and the work of faith with power. So now you see why it's important that we serve God. Look at verse 11 again. Wherefore also we pray always for you. We should be praying for our brethren because that is a part of the goodness of God that our God would count you worthy of this calling. What calling? To be a partaker of God's kingdom and to do God's will. Why, Paul? And fulfill all the good pleasure of his goodness and the work of faith with power. So you see, if we're a partaker of God's goodness, we get to go back to the original creation of what God wanted us to be, where he made everything very good. Look at verse 12, that the name of our Lord Jesus Christ may be glorified in you and ye in him, according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. So, you know, hopefully people have got some understanding of this and why it's important that we seek the fruit of goodness by being a partaker of the nature of Jesus Christ, because everything outside of that, guys, is pure hypocrisy. It's pure self-righteousness. It's a rhinestone when God wants you and I to be diamonds. It's not even a rhinestone. It's a piece of broken beer bottle glass. But God wants us to be those precious stones that he made from the very beginning. Now, a diamond is a diamond through and through, means that it's as precious as God meant for it to be. Okay, now, now today people make lab diamonds, which are not the same thing. But the point I'm making is, is that unless God builds you up and unless you are partaker of God's goodness and his wisdom and his holiness, then we're only holy by our standards. Okay, we're only a holier than thou people, but we're not partakers. So, you know, I just want to tell people with that, I love you to understand the importance of Christ, why it's important that we know him, that we give our lives to him, that we may bring forth those righteous fruit to be partaker of his goodness and his good pleasure. I'm Minister Derek Hallett of Sound the Trumpet Ministries, soundthetrumpetministries.com. You guys can email me at Derek. Uh, D-E-R-E-K, Hallett, H-A-L-L-E-T-T, letter J at gmail.com. And I just want to say to people with this, this might have been somewhat of a hard teaching, but you know what? I love my Lord more than anything, and I love you also is why I want you to be a partaker of God's fruit of goodness. Okay, so I want to pray before we go out. Heavenly Father, in Jesus' name, we thank you for this time of sharing. We thank you for the word of God. And Lord, we just pray that this word was glorifying unto you, that it was a blessing unto you, that people may receive it, that your anointing will be upon it. We just thank you for these words, Lord, that were led by your spirit, that no flesh be glorified and no man's heart be heard.
And we ask and we pray, Lord, for our brothers, Lord, Ethan, and my brother Greg in Italy, and my brother Michael Adams, and my brethren in our ministry, Lord, and without, that are going through so many things, Lord. I pray for the moms of the sick, Lord. I pray for the, the, the children, Lord, that are straight away. I pray that your goodness becomes a partaker of them, that they may repent unto godly sorrow and seek you and your fruit all the days of their life. I pray and I ask that all these things be done for you are the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. You are faithful, just and true and worthy of all praises. I pray and I ask that it be done, Lord, for your glory alone and your honor. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right, guys, that's going to wrap it up for this week. I'm Minister Derek Hallett of Sound the Trumpet Ministries, soundthetrumpetministries.com. Subscribe to the channel and get some, uh, you know, get some teaching because what we're going to give is the Bible, not for our glory, not that I can have a bunch of subscribers, but that you might be a partaker of God's fruit of goodness. So that's going to wrap it up. You guys have a good night. Until next time, see you. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.